Hello and welcome to Flying High with Flutter. This is your host, Alan Wyma, and today I'm with a very special guest. He is definitely one of the only, if well, one of the few, if not the only, professor teaching Flutter in universities. So I'm proud to bring you guys uh, Professor Mark Mahoney. Mark, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hi, Alan. Uh, so yeah, my name is uh, Mark Mahoney, and I am a computer science professor at Carthage College in Kenosha, Wisconsin, where Alan went. Uh, we're, we were discussing about 10 years ago. Um, and I don't know if I'm the, the only one teaching Flutter, but uh, uh, I did just teach a short course. Um, the course was called Mobile App Development. I have taught the course before. Uh, last time I taught it, though, it was uh, you know straight straight Java and Android Studio. That's how long it, yeah, ago that was. Kotlin was around, but it wasn't. Uh, we used straight Java back then. So, yeah, I teach at uh, Carthage College, and uh, uh, we, Ellen, as you know, we have a regular fall and spring semester, but we also have this uh, interesting January term or J term, which is a really intense three-week term where students take one course and it, we meet three hours a day uh, yeah three hours a day five days a week for about three and a half weeks and um, this uh, short course that I just taught was our, our J term course actually got pushed to May because of COVID so I just finished recently and uh, it's nice because uh, students don't have any other distractions. They're, they're just taking this one course. Um, it, um, so it's, it's nice because I'm, I'm pretty much in the room when they're doing a majority of their learning, which that's a really valuable thing, I think, for the professor to be there and be able to answer questions. Um, it's a little hard to... In, in such an intense short time period get as much content in there as uh, like a, a normal uh, fall or spring course so that's one of the things I ran into this is again the first time I taught uh, flutter in our J term and I wish I had you know maybe gotten a little bit more material in there pretty sure if I did it in the fall or the spring that would have happened also a ni nice thing about a regular semester is you know, you get the spaced repetition. You get there's time for material to di for the students to digest it and then bring it up, and um, so that I have a feeling uh, if I were to teach this course again, I would like to try it in a regular semester. Um, yeah, so so uh, that's that's me. <laughs> Well, I think, you know, i like to get a little bit more background about yourself, right? So, of course, I know I remember some about you, but I think it's good to hear about, like, kind of, you know, where you came from, because you actually, you have, I think you do have something to do with mobile, right? You think you worked in the mobile department at Motorola, or was well, it somewhere else? Yep, yep, long time ago, but, uh, so I, I've been, uh, I just finished my 19th year at Carthage teaching, but before that, for a few years, I was, I was a, a developer at Motorola. Uh, but I mean, if you were to look at the phones that I was working on, this was in the early 2000s. Um, they're not anything like, uh, today's phones, but, uh, yeah, I, I did, uh, for a while there, we did multimedia apps on, uh, 
old Motorola phones. Uh, before that, I did uh, also worked at Motorola, but in, in two-way radios. So when you did these apps, were you using Java? Is it the Java applets time, or even before that? Uh, it was even before that. So they had, uh, oh boy, now i got to remember. They had their own little framework in C, uh, and, you know, uh, it was kind of fun to be able to, you know, if somebody had a Motorola Razor phone, I could always open it up and say, you see that uh, storage uh, storage feature? I, I wrote that. You know, it was four lines of code, but uh, everybody had a Razor, so... But yeah, I, I, uh, it's been quite a long time, uh, and I I've, haven't done much with mobile since. Like I said, I uh, occasionally teach a JTERM mobile course, but I'm frankly more into uh, like the web and things like that. So it was, uh, you know, I, I had a lot of learning to do just to get ready for this course, uh, but I've, I've been around the block a while, so... I think I knew what what to look for and what to bring to the course. I'm actually kind of curious. I think you're kind of selling yourself short, right? Because you do have a couple of patents and you were at Motorola for a long time, right? So don't, don't. I mean, I really want people to know kind of like where you're coming from and that you're not just a, a hobbyist and doing four lines of code here and there, right? Uh, no, I'm, uh, you know, I, I've been teaching for 20 years. I have a PhD in computer science. Um, so... But you're not wearing a tie. I think I remember you said as soon as you got your PhD, which was around the time when I was there, you said you could start wearing a tie all the time. Mm-hmm. Well, you stopped it. Uh, I don't think I even remember how to tie a tie. So, <laughs> okay. Uh, so you're at Motorola for a long time. You did some pretty interesting things. I do remember you said you got some patents. Uh, that's kind of cool. Um, and so you know you've did most of your work, I think, in C, right? Yeah. When you were there, yeah, and at okay. uh, Carthage, our our opening sequence of courses, our CS1, CS2 data structures, are basically C++. So uh, even to this day, I think that's a, a really great way to start uh, a CS education. So having that background and C, I know you have it because you took those courses. Um, other schools I know nowadays don't always do that. Some start with Python. Some start with, uh, I suppose some are still working with Java. But uh, I really like uh, C and C++ for the opening sequence, especially that data structures course, because uh, all the other languages, you know, they, they'll handle the memory management for you. And I want all students to at least once have to manage that memory themselves. So, like I said, to this day, we still use uh, C++ in our, in our intro sequence. Do you think that's a good idea? Actually, I, I've been thinking about this for a while now because it seems like most of the days, modern languages, even, of course, even Dart, right, it manages the memory for you. I do think there's value in teaching people that, but I think that maybe that should be something a little bit down the lines because, uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's tricky. Plus, writing a, you know, a, a, a program in C, like there's so much boilerplate, right? Even Java, of course. Like, do you have any thoughts about that? But it sounds like you're really... Sure, this is what you want to start off the first language with. Yeah, I mean, we, as a department, we've uh, we've thought about this and discussed this for for years and years, and uh, I don't know. We always come back, I think, to uh, 
the importance of you know just having having a sea-based uh, background it, it just influences all the other things now after data structures we you know we definitely move to other languages we have uh, you know we have web development courses we have paradigms courses so uh, I'm actually not a huge fan of C++ uh, but I, th I think having having it as a the foundation is uh, important now we have uh, we have some other courses we have like a data science program now that doesn't use C we have um, what we call a CS0 and uh, introduction to programming that doesn't count towards the major and we usually do that one in Python I've taught that one uh, but if you're going to be a major uh, we want you, know, you to have that uh, C background yeah I think that's good the, the reason I, I want to dig into this is because uh, I've been hanging around a lot of Facebook groups and I see people always saying like you know which language should I start off with uh, even for Dart right and there's a lot of people who are actually saying start off with C or C++ and I think you know looking at Dart is that really you think that was actually a, a good thing to, to tell people to start off with hmm, yes so uh, these are not CS people right a lot of people I've been seeing who are learning are people who want to get a job right away or they want to make an app so I would say they're more kind of like hobbyists rather than like serious CS majors yeah so would I suggest C++ for that no I, I'd probably suggest maybe starting with JavaScript so the some of the things I learned while while teaching the course, um, you know, the, the students were pretty good with types, right? So Dart's uh, strongly typed, uh, and having the C++ background, all, all of the students had some C++ programming. Uh, they were pretty good with you know generics and types, except when it came to Dart's uh, like dynamic type, which uh, some of the APIs like we used Firebase in there. Uh, some of the things that would get returned would be like a map of string dynamics and uh, I, I recall a couple students just sort of being uh, a little bit confused about this dynamic type and um, but I think C has something similar right we have to do a lot of casting or you cast like into like a string or something I, I yeah. I'm bringing back like war <laughs> war horror stories from my my lessons yeah, I mean the the C plus plus that we teach is is you know it does not have all the bells and whistles, and uh, it's probably not the most modern uh, C plus plus that you could use, but uh, you know you could make C and C plus plus pretty simple to uh, to get started using. Again, if you pick the you know the the important things to learn in like a CS one are. Uh, talking about data, declaring data, selection, loops, functions, arrays, right? You, you can make that uh, pretty easy to work with in C and C++. And then C, or CS2 is a, sort of just bigger types of projects, more interesting problems to solve. And then data structures is a you know pretty typical uh, data structures course where we, we go and build all the, the different containers. Uh, but but it, I would probably recommend uh, JavaScript as a if somebody wants to start or learn something before Dart, 
oh, so what I was saying about the students was <clears throat> they were pretty good with the uh, uh, generics and types. What my students struggled with, I think, the most were uh, so closures or anonymous functions. So we don't, maybe you could do that in C, C++ now, but we certainly don't do that in our CS1 or CS2s. And then uh, asynchronous programming, so the with the Dart's futures. Um, so JavaScript is, I would probably recommend JavaScript because it is C-based, right? It's got a lot of the same things that a C-based language has. Uh, but it's also got those uh, features, anonymous functions, and in jo JavaScript it's promises, but it's pretty much the same thing. And uh, <clears throat> that's quite a bit different than, again, some of these students had just had CS2, some had just had uh, data structures. I had a couple older students who were who were graduating and, and you know, they had it, uh, not the best, but I, I think they were the stronger of the students. Uh, but yeah, the, the types, the closures, and the futures are what uh, gave my students the most trouble. And I spent the uh, first couple days really just focusing on Dart. So we didn't get to flutter till like day four or something. Um, and, and that's what I would recommend too, is just uh, you, you really you really have to understand the asynchronous programming to do uh, all the interesting stuff you can do with Flutter. What about streams though? That's also a quite complicated topic, right? Yeah. Especially to close it and everything else. Yeah. Uh, so streams uh, I didn't cover in that early Dart stuff, but uh, uh, towards the second half, in the second half of the course, when we're deep into the Flutter stuff, that's when I uh, talked about streams. I guess once you get a, a future, then it's kind of like a, a future that just keeps returning, right? So people probably were able to wrap their mind around it? Yes, definitely. Once, uh, you know, I spent uh, one of the apps I showed them uh, I was capturing uh, microphone samples from a stream. There's a uh, a pub package that uh, does that. And really by that time they had seen futures quite a bit. And uh, that went really smoothly. Right? They just saw it as this function that's going to be repeatedly called. And uh, by, by that time they sort of had wrapped their brains around it. Okay, that's, that's pretty cool. Um... Yeah, I think I think it makes sense. So types and futures were really two of the biggest things. And the third one, you said third? third is the third one, right? Uh, what did I say? Types. Uh, dynamic, right? Closures. Closures. And mm -hmm. uh, asynchronous programming. Yeah. Some other things I that... remember... Oh, yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I remember trying to explain to, like, my client, like, hey, we have to show like a loading bar or something or else people are not going to understand what's going on. He's like, what are you talking about? You just press the button and the data comes. I said, no, don't you ever use an app before? Like we need to let people know that something's going to happen. And so, yeah, I had to explain to him and I also had to explain, uh, I, I hired some people and I had to also explain to them, like, why is it that we have futures and what we need to do when we have those. Right. So, uh, right. Your uh, CS1, CS2, your, your early computer science student, the programs they're writing, they don't, it is just like that. They, if if they need data, they basically get it right away, 
or they do some synchronous call, read a file or something that, uh, you know, probably the file doesn't have a ton of data, so it, it appears like everything is happening instantly. Uh, but yeah, this is a, actually a good lesson. Uh, I think this lesson comes up when I teach uh, web development as well. Uh, uh, but but I think it was good for these students to see that you know, not everything is ready right away. So that was kind of cool. And I think also uh, the one thing that if you want to talk about like using C and kind of using those kind of harsh lessons to learn something, right? Like I remember when I did my first iOS app using native SDK, I made the mistake of trying to make a call on the main thread, which is the wrong thing to do, right? If you ever tried that before, where your whole UI just stops. You learn real quick, like about threading and what you need to do and what you shouldn't do. So that's kind of like the, the not so nice thing about Dart is that you do miss that lesson, but at the same time, it's nice not having to worry about blocking the main thread. Yeah, that, that again is something your your early CS student never really thinks about. Um, so that's nice. Uh, the other, let's see, some other things I uh, recall. Um, so some some students had uh, Windows machines, some students had Macs, some students had Android, some people had iPhones, and for the most part, I I try to have everyone use the emulator as much as possible. But some, some people's Windows machines were so janky that uh, that wasn't an option. So if they had a Android, right, they could just plug in. That, that worked super well. But I, I did have one student who had kind of an older Windows machine, and she also had an iPhone. And, you know, we were kind of out of luck there. So she did... Uh, her workaround was to basically make web apps. So uh, that's another nice thing about uh, Flutter is if, for whatever reason, the, the mobile platforms don't, don't work, you can uh, you know, just use Chrome. And she was able to demonstrate all, all the same things. It just wasn't on a phone or an emulated phone. Yeah, that is nice. Uh, a tip I picked up from somebody who was on the show a few, quite a few episodes back is that he said that even if you're going to be making a mobile app only, you're better off just choosing the native uh, as your computer, right? So if you're using a Mac, choose a Mac OS app. If you're using Windows, choose a Windows app. It's just much faster and because you're compiling directly for the same CPU, right? So it just works out. Um, I know when you compile for uh, for basically um, for a mobile app, like you can basically cook an egg on your machine while you're waiting for it to compile. Yeah. Some of the fans spin up like crazy. Yeah, I think especially on the Mac side. Uh, but I think the latest Flutter, they, they made some fix where the, you know, the compile time went from five minutes down to you know, 20 seconds or something. But yeah, these students weren't, you know, they had no, no clue. They just, this girl liked her iPhone and she liked her Windows phone or her Windows uh, computer. Uh, but for the most part, that, that all worked out. I think we did the installs on day one was not the funnest day but it, you know pretty much everyone was set up on day one the other 17 days we were able to focus on uh, you know writing code so did you go through and document the whole process or you guys just did everything together because it's hard to do it together because i think you're using a mac right and everybody else that they're using windows that's really complicated yeah. so you just handed out sheets and said go at it and then come to me if you need help well actually uh so 
I've, I've created this sort of uh, medium to show uh, basically code examples. And uh, so I created, I, I call them books, they're not, they're not really books, but um, so I created like 20 programs that I, I went over over the, the semester. And one of them, the, one of the early ones, just had all the installation instructions if you're a Windows person or you're a Mac person. I don't know if you're interested, I could show you uh, what that looked like or what this uh, medium is. Yeah, if you can be verbose when you explain it so people who are only listening to the podcast can have an idea, that would be that would be good. Yeah, so let me see if I can share my screen. You did see the doc I sent to you, right? That has instructions. The first line is about how to share your screen. Uh, yeah, I'm actually... Make sure you got the right permissions. <laughs> I'm on a Windows machine right now. Ah, uh, okay. So it should be even easier, I think. You are using Chrome, right? Yeah, that I, that I did do. Okay, so um, this is this was basically my textbook for the course. Let me make it a little bigger here. Uh, so, like I said, I focused uh, early on on uh, Dart, in particular, uh, you know, the closures and the asynchronous stuff. But uh, so this, uh, what you're seeing now, is a called a playback and uh, basically it's kind of again like a textbook except uh, the anything the author says about the code is going to be uh, linked directly uh, to that code let me, let me skip forward a little bit here uh, so for example uh, so on the right hand side of the screen we see a basically a, a text editor and then on the left, there's this little comment that's describing uh, exactly that code. And you can click on Is there on a reason it. why you chose a picture from 20 years ago? Because I think <laughs> you had this in the, when I was there. Uh, yes. Uh, I don't have many good headshots of myself. So when I find one, I, you stick with it. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll update that for you, Alan. But basically, you can uh, sort of walk through this, uh, all these code changes, and uh, the, the author can sort of describe what's happening. Another thing you could do if you want to actually see the code be animated, there's a little play button, and you can continuously make those changes. But basically in the, you know, the very first one is where I think I put these uh, you know, instructions. One of the nice things about the this uh, format here is you can add um, videos and screenshots. So I put a bunch of screenshots. This is again on my win on the Windows side, you know, showing them exactly what their machine uh, should look like. Um, you know, when you when you see this in a textbook, it's sometimes hard to follow. I think so. Having the pictures, I think, helps. And then on the uh, Mac side, again, I, I was able to walk the Mac people through. And I think it worked because, uh, or I think it worked well, because we, we got it all done in, in that first day. 
usually there's always one or two stragglers that uh, you know it's hard to install anything on their machines but we got it all done I do want to ask you for the Mac people, how many of them couldn't install Xcode because they just didn't have space? Must be quite a few, no? Yeah, we had, so there were um, 15 students that at least started the semester, and which is a pretty normal size for a place like Carthage. Uh, I want to say there were probably five Macs and 10 Windows people. And I believe all five Macs, because they were all... Uh, CS majors, they all had Xcode already installed. So uh, if they weren't CS majors, that might have been an issue, but uh, we, I think, I think every single one of them already had Xcode. The harder install was uh, Android Studio. Not everyone had that. And that, that went pretty well, too. That, that's a pretty easy install. Nobody was actually asking to use uh, BS Code instead? Um, well, no, uh, we did use uh, VS Code. I sh sorry about that. Yeah. So actually, I'm a big VS Code fan. So uh, all of my examples, all the teaching I did, uh, I did use VS Code with the uh, Dart and Flutter extensions. But you still need to install uh, Xcode and Android Studio. Um, so uh, that's, that's what we all did. Every, every single one of us, I told them they had to uh, use VS Code. And I, I wonder about that decision. So one, one other sort of uh, complaint I had was uh, just the stack traces when, when things blew up. Uh, I found that the stack traces weren't, weren't quite as valuable as uh, in some other languages and tools that I've used. So I was kind of wondering if... if if I was using uh, Android Studio, if uh, the stack traces would have been a little bit easier to follow. Uh, I don't know if if you find the same thing about the stack traces. Just finding, for example, your you know your code versus all the the Flutter code. Uh, I don't know. I I, I thought uh, you know JavaScript stack traces they tend to be a little more valuable. I had I had some issues with uh, Flutter and Dart. What do you think? Yeah, I think it I think it depends on what you're working on, but I for me I always just use Android Studio even for you know whatever. Uh, there's a couple of reasons. One is I'm probably one of the fewest guys in the world who actually has a buggy Visual Studio code. I'm not sure why it crashes on me much more than IntelliJ does. Uh, it's really weird. Um, the other thing too is, yeah, the key bindings I don't know are really weird for me. But uh, just talking about Flutter development, I think it's just easier just to click the play button. I remember you talking about in school that you say you just want to click buttons, you don't want to type stuff. So just clicking play and it just works. Uh, having the debug stuff on the side, I mean, it all just kind of works nicely. And then like whenever I want to get the dev tools, I just click on the side panel. It's got everything I need, and um, you know, even at the end of there, I just click a button. I could do everything I need to do. I can easily switch devices, which one I want to go to. So I just feel like it's just got much more features. And I think, um, yeah, I just find debugging in it much easier. And uh, sometimes I do have to go through and debug an Android app. So it's easy just to say, okay, switch to, you know, Android, set the debug point. Yeah, I, I think if, again, if I were to teach this course in this same way again, I might look harder into uh, Android Studio. 
Yeah. The only thing is it is slightly heavier, but I mean, I think computers nowadays, if you don't have a eight gigs, it, forget about it. You're you can barely use the word processor nowadays yeah, or pl- Chrome, right? Plus, even if you are using Visual Studio Code, you still need Android Studio or Xcode. Or on my Mac, I have have both Xcode and Android Studio on there. But the Macs, the Macs weren't the problem. It was the the Windows machines. It's good to know. I mean, usually I've I've done some workshops and like especially the girls who come, they got too many pictures of their pets. So there's just and everybody wants to buy the cheapest Mac with 128 gigs, which yeah, you just fill that thing up real quick. So that's kind of the sad part. Yeah, so like I said, we started the course sort of focusing on Dart. Um then uh in terms of Flutter, you know, we start with widgets. Widgets are uh, you know, dominant. Um we talked a little bit about uh, navigation, gathering input, uh, using packages. I'm kind of curious about, like, when you had your students, right, did you try to explain to them what a widget is and were they actually able to get that? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so thing about widgets or, or what I noticed the students um, struggled with the most, I think, was just the nesting of widgets. They've never, most of them have never... Uh, had to do that much nesting, even with the you know the code formatter was certainly helpful when you're doing all that nesting. Uh, some of them, especially early on, I think did get uh, a bit overwhelmed. Uh, but towards the end of the semester, after the after the three weeks, the, everyone was getting an, a little bit better. You know, your your eyes change. You can see things a little bit better when you uh, after some experience. And I think the actually think the Android Studio tools, the the editor tools, uh, were a little bit nicer than the uh, Visual Studio Code tools. For example, I, I saw a few videos where if you want to wrap a widget inside another widget, I'm pretty sure this was Android Studio. You know, you just right click and there's an option to do that. I I wasn't able to find that exact feature in the uh, Visual Studio code extension maybe it was there maybe i just couldn't find it but uh you know we we end up doing that quite a bit is to, to move widgets around you you wrap them and unwrap them so i do like that about android studio i think the there is quite a bit more things you can do with visual code studio Visual studio code um i do remember like there's a bunch of extensions you can add that are extra where you can generate like you know uh Objects are compared by reference, not by value. So they have a thing where you can just generate a class, and it'll automatically generate. Like you put like all the, all the variables, and it'll just generate the the equals, override the equals for you. Um, so I'm sure there must be something. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, I didn't look too hard into it, but I I just grabbed the. Uh, I think the recommended one was the Dart and the Flutter extensions. But yeah, they're they're probably are more extensions that would have made my life easier. Yeah, yeah, I definitely think so. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of curious, like, because you, you did come from a very interesting background. I mean, you, you, you do do a lot of C, you still promote that. I think that's fine. Um, I know for sure you did Java. You did last time you did Java, uh, Android class. That would definitely solve a lot of the problems that you had, like with 
making sure people have all the proper dependencies, this iOS, Android phone thing. Like, how did you come to the conclusion of, uh, you know, maybe I should do this with Dart and Flutter? I mean, there's always React Native. Like I told you before the show, there's KMM. There's so many different things you could choose. Yeah, so that's a good question. Um, and so I think what's most important to students when they when they are choosing uh, you know elective classes like this this was this was an elective nobody had to take it uh, but they're definitely looking for authentic experiences so I would say Dart is probably not optimized for you know teaching college students how to use it it is a you know a professional framework uh, and and that makes it a little bit harder to sort of wrap your head around, especially if you're a first year or second year CS student. Uh, but they want that authenticity almost more than anything. They, they, I think, would feel like they were wasting their time if, if I had uh, taught the same course the way I did it five years ago with you know, using Java and Android Studio. Um, so I, I have been, uh, you know, one of the things I, I think I'm uh, pretty good at as a a college professor is just keeping my eyes open, seeing what's out there, and I've had my eye on Flutter for a while now. And Wait, I have to say, I have to ask you a question. Did you do your typical style of asking people if you can have a sample book? <laughs> well, uh, there aren't many uh, Flutter books out there. I I did. I think I had to buy my uh, Flutter books, uh, uh, and I did. I did read a couple of them. Uh, I was not a huge fan of the, uh, so I spent the most time with one. I, I won't mention the one, but um, I feel like uh, what I created here with my 20 programs uh, would get you writing code a lot sooner than the 300-page the book that I read. You mean, you mean if people followed your code story, they'd be in a lot better shape, in your opinion? In my opinion, yes, I'm of course, biased, but, uh, you know, when you write a book, I think there's some pressure to, to fill 300 pages. People want to make sure they're getting their $49 worth. And when I was reading this book, I thought, oh my gosh, there's, there's a lot of fluff in here. Plus going back and forth between the, the exposition and the code, uh, is just makes it, makes it a little bit harder. I, I, I uh, am not too bullish on the, uh, the uh, you know programming book uh, market in the future. I think whether it's this or something else, uh, you know, there there are much better ways to I think just link you know, what the author wants to show you with you know the uh, the code. That's that's I think the most important thing. Um, so anyway, I was t talking about students and they want authentic experiences, and uh, yeah, so I I've had my eye on Flutter for a while. So some of the things I look for uh, when I'm thinking about teaching a new uh, topic like this uh, is just who's using it, uh, who, who created it, what kind of resources are they putting into documentation. Right, so we all know Flutter's created by Google. Now Google has had some duds before, so it's not just that it's a Google thing. Um, uh, but their documentation I thought was excellent. Uh, and they, they really 
you know, put a lot of uh, effort into their documentation. Just the number of videos alone that they have, and not just some somebody talking, but an actual animated, you know, video. Those those have to cost a fortune to produce, and they just have hundreds and hundreds of them. To me, that was a sign that they, you know, are really taking this serious. Um, and then I, you know, I'm on Twitter and I'm on all the other. Uh, social networks, and I, I'm just noticing people are, uh, and have been for the last couple of years, really getting excited about Flutter. So all of that sort of went into my decision uh, to use this. I'll be honest, these uh, J-term courses, uh, I usually pick something that I want to learn, and it sort of forces me, you know, I have to prepare for the course, so I have to learn it. Uh, so I'm sure we had some J terms together. I don't know what uh, what courses I taught then, but uh, it was likely something that I thought was cool and interesting. And uh, it's a, I think a, a perk of this job is we're we're pretty nimble, so I could I can uh, teach quite a few different things, especially in these J terms. Um, so I usually just look for something that I'm interested in, and so I. I made the decision to teach this course probably over a year ago and uh, at the time you know flutter was my my number one thing that I was looking to learn so yeah that's that's how I chose that and again I don't know uh, I have to teach another J term course next year I haven't I haven't decided which one yet uh, but this was this was a fun one like I said the only the only thing I'd say is I, I probably didn't get f as far uh, as I would have if it was a normal semester course. Um, I think just having the more space in between the individual class periods probably would have helped me get a little bit farther into the uh, content. Yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty interesting feedback. I, I was kind of curious, did you ever consider using like one of the other solutions out there instead of just using uh, Flutter? Or did you already try this before and then you just wanted to learn Flutter? Yeah, so I'd, I've done a little bit of work with React. So React Native probably wouldn't have been uh, as much of a stretch for me in, in putting the, the course together. Um, but that probably influenced why I chose Flutter, because like I said, I'd, I've, I've done a little bit of work with React and um, I, wanted, I wanted to learn something new. Uh, I see some potential in Flutter. Um, again, people are, I think, really excited about it. So, um, you know, again, I was maybe being selfish and just saying, you know, I want to learn something that I don't already know. And uh, the best way to learn something is to, to actually be teaching it. So, uh, again, maybe it, I selfishly chose it because of that. As I said, the even better way to, to learn is to volunteer to teach something so then you have to learn it, and then you can teach it to reinforce it, right? Exactly. Uh, your, your feet are on the fire once you say you're going to do a course. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I totally agree, especially when you get, like, some of these questions that you never even thought about, like, what's a stream and why do we even have to have it? Or I mean, obviously, that that's a little bit more clear, but yeah, why, I, you know, why do we have to have a text style for the style and not called style in general or, or, or why does button colors have to be so complicated to do? Yeah. I, I, I don't know that one. <laughs> I guess because you got different types of buttons if you press it or not, right? There's different types of styles you can have, but 
or edge insets. Yeah, yeah. I, I think teaching is a great way of, uh, like I said, learning something. It doesn't have to be formal teaching necessarily, like I'm doing. But like uh, I would recommend to your audience, you know, you know, writing blog posts. I think is a great way to uh, sort of get your name out there. And there, there are all kinds of platforms nowadays where you can uh, you can build up a following just on your uh, you know your technical blog posting. So uh, there's Medium, there's uh, the Dev community. There's all kinds of places where uh, you can do that. And if if you are a student, I always uh, recommend students become tutors. So I don't know if you were a tutor way back when. Were you a tutor? No, I, I'm pretty sure Nick was. Ah, okay. Nick Gromick, yeah. Yeah. Um, so just like you said, um, once you start helping people, and you might have some some idea clearly in your mind, like that's the only way anyone is ever going to think about it. And then you sit down next to someone who maybe has less knowledge than you, and they come up with these really interesting questions. Uh, so my, my entire... When I when I was in college, I was a tutor, and I was always amazed by, uh, you know, I thought I knew everything, and then I'd talk to this person I was working with, and they'd say, well, why don't you do it like this? And it just blew my mind. So, and that still happens, uh, you, know, you know. I've been teaching full time for twenty years, uh, so I love that part. Just getting, uh, you know, you probably remember my style is uh, not really to, to, to try and give some great performance, some great lecture. Uh, what I really like to do is do a little bit of that, uh, but really I like to walk around the room and talk to people, answer questions, and um, I, I think it all goes back to my days as being a tutor when I was in college. Uh, I think it's so much more valuable. Uh, I really feel like my job is mostly to motivate students, right? So... I don't give I probably I don't give great lectures or or you know anything like that. I'm not a, a super dynamic speaker, but what I think I'm pretty good at is motivating people to want to learn. So I, I feel like all programming is it's really like being a wizard, right? You come up with these spells and we can make magic things happen. Okay, and to me, I, I still get excited about that. That uh, I really love that. I can't believe I get paid to, to do what I do. And I, I think that enthusiasm probably rubs off on a lot of students. And um, so that's how what I feel like my job is. is you, know, you, you can't learn to be a great programmer just by watching me. So I'm pretty good. You can learn some things from watching me code. But uh, the way you're going to become a great programmer yourself is you just have to make all the mistakes that programmers make. There's no, I don't think there's any shortcuts. Um, so if I can motivate the student to work on the homework assignment or to, uh, sometimes I, I work with students over the summer on, on research type things. Um, if I can motivate them to do that, I know they're going to learn. And you know, that's what I feel my job is, just to motivate I was just thinking about how you said, you know, sitting next to somebody who knows less than you, you can learn quite a bit. Uh, I, I seem to remember one time you were telling us about, I mean, you remember taking Comp Org, right, with the gates. And I think you 
mentioned to some guy, why don't you just add an end gate or an or gate at something at your work? And the guy just laughed at you and just walked away. Yeah, so uh, I worked at Motorola, and Motorola is not a software company. They, I think, uh, you know, they've been around quite a long time, and it's the culture there is just it's dominated by electrical engineers. And uh, we were having, I don't even remember the issue, but uh, the electricals were were working on something, trying to solve some particular problem. And uh, as a software guy, I consider myself a pure software guy. I made some suggestion, and it was probably ridiculous. Uh, and yeah, I think I got laughed out of the room. But I, I learned my lesson. I I don't know enough about electrical <laughs> engineering. So so in that case, I got to learn nothing from you in this <laughs> in this instance. Uh, yeah, in this particular case, although maybe they learned uh, something about how software developers see things. Who knows? I'm still I mean, friends with never, it. still friends with I said never so say never to invite you back into the room in this situation. Okay, okay. Yeah, that's 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 pretty cool. I think there's a lot of things we're getting from you, right? So part of the reason that I wanted you to be on here is because I wanted to kind of get you know, a lot of people are trying to learn taking Udemy, taking Coursera, doing the cookbooks, I think they're called uh YouTube videos like crazy. Yeah, the cookbooks were good. Uh just like I said, the straight documentation thought was excellent they google's really uh it's it's a sign to me i think to people in the know if uh you know if people are putting the effort in in the documentation that's a sign i think react documentation is excellent also uh, which is not surprising google's all or uh, facebook is all in there yeah I, i mean i think uh you know no matter what, it's always good to have somebody else kind of in the room and helping you, right? So I don't think universities have necessarily lost their, their edge. Of course, they, they're they not as good as they used to be. They're not as kind of like as, as, I don't know what you call that, as honored or as thought of as being the best. But I think it's good to hear that like established places of education are actually looking at Flutter and teaching it and saying this is uh, – it's really interesting that too, I bet you said you're, you're coming at this not from – I mean, when I did JTERM, it was more of like a fun thing. Like, I remember one of the courses was, I think, with uh, Gottlieb, and he said, this is uh, building your own evil robot army, right? So that's obviously a fun course. Yeah. This one, you said, no, my students wanted something serious, right? And you said, this is a serious framework. Yeah, and uh, some of the students may have been um, not quite ready for it. So we started with 15. Not not all 15 uh, stuck with it. Um, so yeah, you're right. These short courses, they tend to have, uh, you know, sort of a fun aspect. I hope my course was fun. I, I know for some of the students, it was definitely fun, but, uh, it was a hard course. Um, but every one of these courses gets the, the regular number of credits earned. So, you know, it should be, there should be some depth to it. And I think this one, this one had it. Yeah, a lot, a lot of, other courses uh, that I guess I was competing with would be, you know, uh, I think there was a, a knitting class, math, the mathematics of knitting. Uh, I think there was some sort of brewing course where you learn how to brew beer. And then in, in regular years, there would be trips, you know, trips to uh, Egypt to, you know, look at the pyramids or things like that. So those those are definitely like once in a lifetime experiences. I think those are great. 
but this one ended up being a you know a pretty darn hard course uh, but valuable and I think it all goes back to that authenticity so uh, by the end you know we were making apps that uh, talk to the to this Firebase, this Firestore database, and um, there were a couple students at the end. I knew they knew more than I did, and I could see them, you know, the summer getting an internship as a mobile developer or uh, for their senior thesis, making some sort of mobile app. So I, th I think it was a pretty valuable experience. I hope so, anyway. Yeah, I mean, after teaching the course, like, do you feel that? Flutter really is something that people should seriously consider, or is it something that you can kind of play around with? Because, I mean, being able to cook something quickly up and running, you're going to hit a roadblock later on, right? If you look at like, you know, like Twitter with Rails, right? They kind of ran into some issues, I think. Um, you know, what do you think? I think um, I think it's around to stay. Yeah. So I, I know we talked uh, before we started recording about uh, just state management. And yeah, that was a that was a pretty hard thing for the students to grasp, right? So again, in all the programming they've done up to this point, they've never had to do anything like that. Um, so that that took a while, um, but you know we see that in other reactive frameworks uh, as well. So I think it's a, a great lesson. If they want these components or these widgets to be reusable, you know. This is one of the better ways to do that. If if they don't care about reusability, well, then you know we could use the old, you know, the DOM style of going and picking picking apart the DOM. But uh, you know, after ten, twenty years of doing that, I think uh, you know people in the know know that there are issues associated with that. So this is a great way to sort of get that authentic uh, experience into the classroom. So I, I'm I'm uh, pretty high on Flutter, and uh, you know in the in one of the videos, one of the Google videos, they say it's it's among the most um, the things developers are most interested in learning. That's another good sign that uh, I think this thing has legs. Yeah, I think I just seen recently that I think Flutter just passed like react in the amount of apps on the app store i can't remember now i wouldn't doubt it at this point because so many people are just building android apps with this because it's very easy to get started react stake management is also another beast i think that is really hard to tackle i mean working with react and like i did react before i did this and i don't want to touch react ever again uh it was just i i don't know if i ever told you this but i had a when I was working in the bank, we had one HTML page with 200 rows. It took over 30 seconds just to render 200 rows. And it wasn't like there was a lot of data. It was just, if you don't know what you're doing, you can hurt yourself, right? But with Flutter, I mean, you could do the same. I have done the same, but nothing as bad as that. But also, like, it's much harder. And, and especially if you have proper state management, it's even harder, right? If you just stick with, like, streams. Yeah. No, I, I really like Dart. Uh, maybe it's because of my, again, uh, I grew up on statically typed uh, compiled languages, uh, so uh, object-oriented languages. So I really like that uh, about Dart. Of course, the JavaScript, is that's cool as well, but 
and I do, I probably uh, day to day do much more JavaScript development than uh, I'll probably end up doing Dart development. But uh, yeah, I think uh, Dart uh, really uh, struck a chord with me. I thought it was great. Yeah, we, we did talk with uh, one of the creators at Dart recently. So when his episode comes out, you should definitely check it out. He's got a lot to say. It's interesting, his whole background. I mean, he even worked on Hotspot, uh, if, you, if you knew that or not. That's quite interesting background. So that's why you can see when you type Dart, it's like JavaScript plus Java together. It's really weird. Yeah, uh, and that, that's something I didn't, I didn't go into the mechanics of it all. I, that's one of the things I just didn't have time uh, to look at. You know, another thing I, I didn't get a whole lot of time to look at, uh, I'm kind of curious uh, what you know about it, but just testing uh, Flutter apps. Mm. What uh, What's that world like? What do I need to know about uh, testing in Flutter? I, I do testing. I, I don't think there's anything special. Uh, you're going to have to have Makito, for sure, to step out certain things. But... Um, the only thing that I find difficult is trying to find the right things to like tap on or whatever, because unless you add a key to it, it's really difficult to to find the right one. Um, so that's the only thing. Like you can find like a, a text box using semantics, like saying like look for this label or something, but to find like if you have two buttons with the same name, it becomes more difficult. Even if one's like a text button, one is like a flat button or whatever, you, it's really difficult to, to go in between and choose which button you want. So do you end up just putting a key on everything? I stopped before that one, but before I put keys on everything, and so I may, I may just do that. I have had keys become useful when I need something to actually update. Um, so I think keys are good. I don't think you went into keys, but keys are something that you really need to know when you want to go from intermediate to expert or even sometimes a little bit higher intermediate stage because, yeah, there may be times where you do expect an update from a stream and it just doesn't happen. Um, explaining what types of keys those are, those are also difficult to explain, right? You got object keys, you got value keys, you got global keys. I'm guessing you used the form too, right? So that must have been a, a key with that one too, with the form state. Yeah, I, I didn't spend a whole lot of time on them. Uh, but again, I'm... Uh, to be honest, I'm I'm not a Flutter expert, so. Uh, uh, but I, I think again for the basics, I would I would say my my stuff, my content here is just uh, you know beginner level type stuff. But yeah, keys uh, that's a that's a big topic. Yeah, um, I think. Do you have anything else you wanted to mention about this? Or otherwise, I think I want to start getting into wrapping this up because we, we took a lot of your time and I think you gave a lot of uh, knowledge, right? Uh, yeah, no, I don't uh, I don't have anything else. Okay. Uh, after kind of playing with Flutter for some time and in, in, in your background, right, over 20 years experience, uh, I guess way over 20 years by now, but I mean like in, in the field, right? What do you think Flutter is a good solution? Like, when do you think it's a good good time to actually use it? Well, certainly mobile, you know, mobile is taking over. Uh, I really like the fact that you have the single code base. You don't have to have two teams working on your mobile app. I'm excited about the web, right? So being able to to reuse that code even uh, for your for your web app. And I understand they're they're working on a desktop 
solution as well. So, you know, the fewer things. I have actually used. I say I have actually used the desktop even before it was out. So it's pretty good. I mean, the the fewer things that you have to learn. Uh, anybody with any web uh, experience knows, you know, that just the stack of things you have to learn is is outrageous. So I think it's really cool that uh, this tool is targeting basically all our most common computing devices. I think that uh, you know that's that's that could be a game changer. So you think? You know, whenever you want to target any kind of the, those major platforms, you think Flutter is a good choice? You know, right now, for sure, it's in the mobile side. Uh, I guess we'll have to see what happens on the web and then eventually on the desktop as well. So we'll see. So being somebody who's actually in the education sector, like, and also you had to learn it yourself, like, how do you feel about the state of education in Flutter, like, when you want to actually learn it? I mean, do you think it's good enough? I mean, or did you struggle or... Uh, like I said, it's, it's. I don't think it's optimized for, um, you know, college students to learn. Um, but <clears throat> uh, I also think it was. It wasn't that bad. Now, like I said, I, I've been around a while, so I was able to pick it up uh, pretty easily, and, and hopefully, I was able to present it in a way where the students uh, picked it up easily. Um, you know, Dart, a lot of people haven't heard of Dart. Uh, might be nice if if sort of that got more, uh, if more people were aware of Dart. Um, you know, Dart has some, some cool things. Uh, so the name constructors, I know I liked uh, setting the instance parameters right in the constructor uh, parameters. That was cool. Uh, named parameters. I know uh, Ruby has that. I, that's pretty cool. Um, but it's it's a pretty typical, pretty standard, you know, object-oriented language. Um, yeah, I'd like to see like to see there be a little more buzz behind Dart. I guess I think that could only help Flutter. Yeah, when I learned Flutter, I actually well, I basically learned Flutter, and then I went back to Dart. So that's kind of interesting that you went first to Dart and then to Flutter. Yeah, that, think... that that book I read, um, they took the same approach. They they had an appendix that had a whole bunch of Dart stuff. And they said, uh, you know, you can read that if you want, but we're just going to dive right into the Flutter stuff. And I found myself wishing I had read the appendix first. So when I was, you know, starting with the course, I made the conscious decision. I was going to spend you know, a good portion of the beginning on Dart. I, I really think with the, like I said, with the futures and the uh, asynchronous, asynchronous code and the, the closures, at least for my students, I knew that was not going to be something they could just pick up uh, easily, especially in the context of all the widgets and the streams and everything. So uh, I, the way I went, and I'm pretty happy with it. Was to start with Dart and then work into work my way into Flutter. If I had to do it again, I'd do it the same way. Okay, that's interesting. I think I found most people go straight into Flutter and then say dig into Dart later. So I, I also tend to think that way too. But I can see how getting the idea of Flutter or sorry, getting the idea of Dart first would make more sense. 
I think the thing that would throw me off if I went into Dart first would be um, when you do your build method for your for your widgets, right? It's just constructor, constructor, constructor. It's not normal, what I would say, Dart code, right? It's very Flutter-esque where you just construct all of your things every single time, all over again. That, I think, is very uh, weird. Uh, that is weird. Uh, again, very different than what any uh, first or second year CS student will learn. Um, but, you know, the, like I said, the name constructors, the, uh, the named parameters, I didn't want to have to sort of explain that in the context of all the widget stuff going on. So uh, I, I do think it's valuable sometimes to separate uh, some of these topics. You know, I had, I had them write many in, the, in those first couple days, many sort of these lab problems that didn't count for, for much in Dart. And I, I, I think that helped when we got to the uh, Flutter stuff. Because the Flutter's got its own, like like you said, the build method and the nesting of widgets. To to have to explain all of that and all of this sort of Dart stuff, I thought it was just better to separate those two. Okay, yeah, I I can definitely see that. Um, do you have any tips or kind of tricks for beginners? I think you gave some before, but I was curious if you had anything that really stands out. You know, like I said, the asynchronous programming, if you don't have a lot of experience with that, uh, that's so critical to everything that happens in Flutter that I would focus focus on that. In order to learn that, you need to know about these anonymous functions, these closures. Um, the rest of Dart, like, like I said, is pretty straightforward. Uh, if you know one object-oriented programming language, picking up Dart shouldn't be hard. Uh, but those those extra little topics I think are worth spending some more time on. Do you have any warnings for people so they don't get into some kind of trap? No, just, uh, again, the, the, there are some issues with the power of certain machines and, uh, you know, trying to run Android apps on Macs and, and, uh, so like, like all, people writing code, I would say, you know, try and have as high-powered machine as possible. Yeah, I get a lot of people asking online saying, is this machine good enough, or, or what kind of machine should I have? What kind of processor? Is i3 okay? Can I have how much RAM, etc.? You think you get that question a lot. Every fall, I get it 20 times from parents who are trying to buy their students a computer. I uh, I did development on both my Windows machine and my Mac, and you know I thought it was seamless. Uh, you know, once you once you learn it on one, it's pretty much the same on the other. So I think uh, they did pretty well there too. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, that is that is a nice part. Um, I did want to ask you about you know state management, right? I think you said you only worked with provider, right? You never did anything else? Correct. And most of the examples here, especially in uh, part two, uh, so I always started my examples just using stateful widgets. And uh, at the end of each one of these, I would uh, switch over to provider. And uh, 
so I, I noticed or I looked at what students were doing and in all the apps that they were building, they were just sticking with stateful widgets. Uh, even though I showed them provider and I tried to explain the, you know, the pain point that it was solving, I think they, they couldn't quite grasp uh, in the, you know, three and a half weeks that we had really, you know, what provider is doing for them. So, again, these, their apps weren't super complicated. They weren't, uh, you know, as nested as maybe some professional, more professional apps. Uh, but I think for simplicity, they, they were able to sort of wrap their head around the stateful widget where, you know, like I said before, if you want to make these things reusable, we, we can only pass data down, right? Uh, so data and methods down. They seem to, to sort of grasp that. Uh, now, if they had more time, uh, if they were building bigger apps, I think then one of these uh, tools like Provider I think a light bulb would have went off in their head and they're saying, oh yeah, that, that does make my life a little bit easier. But uh, each one of these examples, it does, uh, let me see if I can find one here. change notifier. So somewhere up until this point, I just use a stateful widget. And then I switch to provider. Again, I don't know how, maybe I didn't uh, explain it uh, as well as I could have, but what I noticed in the students' apps were they ended up just using stateful widgets and passing all their data and methods through the widgets. Which, you know, if they got that, I was pretty happy that they got that, even. Yeah, it's, it's, hard, to, it's hard to kind of, I mean, you have to kind of feel the pain before you start reaching for a provider, I think. Exactly, yeah. And I didn't, we didn't have enough time for them to feel the pain, I don't think. Yeah, I, I think I went through the first four to six months not using anything. And then I was like, this is horrible. I got to use something else. Yep, exactly. So you can get quite far with set state. So uh, I think, you know, uh, do you have any kind of opinion? I mean, it seems like you're still quite new into Flutter. I don't think you play around different solutions for state management. Like, do you do you have any idea about why this is such a complicated topic or anything from your background that might give you some kind of clue? Because it seems like it's like a flame war whenever you talk about how you manage your state. Um, well, again, I, I think it has to do with, you know, reusability of components. So if you look at the web, uh, you know, pre-React, what we would do is we would just use the DOM to go and find something and grab the data. Um, but managing that DOM, that, that has its own issues as well. That, that can be, um, you know, equally a nightmare. So, you know, I think the, all the reactive frameworks have sort of taken this different approach. It's a really interesting approach, I think. Um, uh, so I don't know. I, I, I guess I don't have enough uh, experience to, because I only really looked at provider. Uh, it seems like Google has chosen that one to be the, you know, that one's in most of their uh, cookbooks and demos. Um, 
but yeah, it's 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 interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I don't have uh, enough experience to to really compare them. Okay, and I think my final question I have for you, right, is somebody. I, I, I've been looking at your code, right? It looks like it's pretty much pre-Flutter 2. Uh, I don't know which version of Flutter you guys use, but with Flutter 2, right, they have... Uh, definitely Flutter 2.2, they have no safety, right? So, like, do you... Sorry, what do you want to say? Oh, no, I know, I was just going to say, I, I touched on that briefly. Uh, I think all of this code was written with Flutter 2 or higher. Um, but again, that's one of the things where... Um, there were so many other th things to sort of focus on that uh, that wasn't certainly wasn't a uh, emphasis of the the course, but yeah, I, I did talk about it briefly. So my question is like, when Flutter two came out, and then now Flutter two point two. I don't know if you took a look at it. Um, like, do you feel that? things are really getting interesting now like do you feel it's going to bring more people to the table do you feel like do you have any feelings about it yeah so i, I just saw the google io happened i think last week right and uh i watched some videos that it it all looks exciting again that there are more signs more signals that uh, google is really behind this um so the null safety in particular, I, I think, is is interesting. I know the there's a classic uh, CS figure who said coming up with null pointers was like his his billion dollar mistake. Uh, so and that was you know 50, 60 years ago. Um, so yeah, I, I think uh, this is kind of interesting. I, I think C sharp has a similar uh, set of operators and, and philosophy on uh, null safety. So I, I like that Dart is, is picking a lot of the uh, interesting features from other languages and, and bringing them together. Um, so I don't know. If I was a mobile person, I'd be pretty excited these days about Flutter. Okay. Yeah, I, I also think so too. I, I can't see a good reason why not to use it. Even as somebody who's used native SDKs before, it's not even about how hard they are, but just like you get nearly any platform you want. And I think it's just much easier. I, I just find it to be much easier, not to mention the code reusability. And now we can finally make a decent UI. That was probably my biggest one is that making a decent UI is so hard in Android and iOS. Yeah. Uh, if, if people like you and me can do it, that means anyone can do it. Yeah. Uh, do you have anything else you'd like to, to do a shout-out for or anything else you wanted to bring up? Um, shout-outs. Uh, I am, uh, uh, again, the creator of this new medium for, for guiding people through code. If anybody wants to check that out, um, currently I'm storing all of my uh, work here on, on GitHub, and I think I put a link, uh, or I think I gave you the link, so maybe... They can, yep. they can find it there. We'll be sure to add it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. This is pretty cool. But yeah, Alan, I remember... Uh, the thing I remember most is the discussions we used to have in my office or after class. And I'm really glad we got a chance to do this. We should do it more often.
Well, I mean, if you ever teach the class again, especially in a longer format, it'd be great to hear more about how it's how it's going, right? Or if you ever choose another uh, state management solution or anything, it's it's always good to hear. Okay, so thanks for having you on, and hopefully we have you on again in the future. Yep, it was nice to talk to you, Alan. Yeah. Bye now.